If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. This is another of our popular Listener's Choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Today's guest is Fiona Hughes. Fiona's an eventing specialist, rider, trainer, coach and coach educator and Fiona's specialties in teaching beginners, which I really want to drill down into today. How are you today, Fiona? Very good, Glennis. Very good. good. good I think there was a, there was quite a few titles there. We could we could branch off into any direction we wanted to. Really, <laughs> we, can't we? we could probably always come back and do another couple of podcasts anyway. But we'll, we'll just stick to the one for now, and we'll talk about another one later. Too easy, <laughs> Fiona. We're going to really specialise on teaching beginners. So I want to start with how you started with horses and what your first memories are of riding. Oh goodness. Back in the day when uh, my dad, we lived in suburban Sydney, actually, and dad, for some, well, I guess once it's in your blood, horses, it's in your blood, and we had a horse in a suburban backyard in Bankstown in Sydney, and I've got photos, and that's the only way I can remember is of me sitting on horse and a horse in the backyard of our house at Bankstown, and I was two, so it was just the way that dad went with me when I was five. I went to some poor lady's riding, I don't think it was called a riding school, it was pony ride. Mm-hmm. And those ponies, I think, shuddered when they saw my dad's car pull up because I made them trot and canter around that pony ride ring. <laughs> I don't know how I knew how. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a long, long time ago. That was back in the 60s. So. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm just wondering what would happen with the council now if you took a horse and decided it was going to live in uh, backyard Sydney, how they'd go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it'd go too well, would it? I think the neighbours would be the biggest problem there because my dad had a, I think it was probably a quarter or a half acre block. It was like the house was down the front and there was quite a bit of lawn to cut up the back so I think he was glad that the pony came along and ate the lawn maybe that's why I got a horse I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay Fiona it's a long way from having pony rides and uh, keeping a horse in suburban Sydney what made you have a career with horses what was the pathway through to that career well starting out pony club I was with the same pony club from the very beginning dad was an instructor at Pony Club down at, over at Rossmore, which is on the outskirts of Sydney, and started out with a pony that was 13 hands and he didn't like jumping and, and he sort of got me through until I could walk, trot and canter about. 
And then, of course, Dad decided in his wisdom that I had to have a pony that liked jumping. I don't know how he knew that I liked jumping, but anyway, I did. And away we went, and she went through until I was like 13 or 14. And then I got my first thoroughbred that wasn't off the track, but it was a thoroughbred that Dad bought from the thoroughbred sales. And Dad sort of rode him at the start. didn't take long for me to sort of start training him and then working through Pony Club. And then I got interested in coaching at Pony Club. I think I was thrown into that a little bit by virtue of I was sort of representing at state Pony Club championships and all that sort of thing. And so then it was like, oh, Fiona can take the kid. So I think that's all where we came from with graduating from riding at Pony Club and then teaching at Pony Club and then I teach the kids. Actually, I was talking to Colleen Brooke recently and we were talking about things that we started out doing and we both taught the kids from Pony Club on Saturdays and, um, yeah, just sort of did it as a passion. It's, it's interesting how you get thrown into it, you know, and it's like, oh, you know how to do it. You could teach it. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure you may do, but I think that it becomes a lot more scientific the more you get into it, doesn't it? You know, you've got to have that knowledge, you've got to have the passion, you've got to have the interest, but I think a lot of people start off coaching at Pony Club and sometimes because of necessity because they need more coaches. Absolutely, absolutely, mm. and that was that was exactly how it ended up with me and I never actually achieved my Pony Club instructor certificate because I sort of was not that interested. And once I was old enough to leave Pony Club, I think I spent a little time there being an associate member and still riding a little bit at Pony Club. But sort of then, even then, I was doing things like teaching what we call musical rides where we went. And we even did a display. um, There was a big show jumping show once at Homebush and somebody asked if there was, Pony Club kids that wanted to do a display and we just had a musical ride that we did and it was, the kids loved it and it was just, I guess I got a real kick out of the kids riding there and and that was all part of the enjoyment of teaching or of giving them knowledge or giving them experiences was the enjoyment of seeing the kids doing it. That was, I guess, what kept me going, you know, kept me interested in it. Mm. And and the kids, to me, because I was in a Pony Club musical ride as well, and we, you know, performed, competed around a bit. It was the whole working together, working as a team, but also learning to ride, you know, push your horse up a bit, slow down a bit, turn a little bit quicker, go, you know, a little bit more into that corner. So you're still learning to ride better, even though you think that all you're doing is a musical ride. Absolutely. And I think teaching in groups is a very fine art and teaching, say, I teach at many clinics, junior camps coming up in summer, in the summer break. And to teach a group of kids and control them and keep them safe is a very learned skill. Mm, And mm. so those times at Pony Club, spacing, learning spacing and single file and then teaching them how to ride in the musical ride with the manoeuvres and that sort of thing. It was a very good learning experience, um, very valuable tool. And then when I went on and achieved my level one and then my level two, to know and have confidence in controlling the class and that sort of thing and understanding, I guess, the necessities of how to get people to keep control of their horse in a group situation. It is a very learned skill. Mm. Yes, yes, yeah. 
And I think we'll talk about the, you know, the teaching, the real beginners and the groups and that in a little bit. But just moving on from there, you know, because you went on and you started teaching at Pony Club to be then to go on and become a coach, for people who are starting work in the career, thinking about horses, what are the core skills they need or character traits? I guess uh, what I believe happens now, it seems to be not as, I'm going to say, accessible that people take up a career in, in horses. I think you find many of the people that are professionals in at, let's say, in teaching, such as, you know, show jumping or certainly, definitely the people that I'm involved in, there seems to be a real break in the middle there of, of let's say, the more senior professional people and then the younger ones aren't as many, I feel. And so I think it is a bit of a... I think what it's what people have understood is it's it's a very costly sport and to make enough money to do it professionally is very, very difficult. And the thing that I think you have to be able to manage the business really well, I think you've got to have... Well, I think now what I've realised is my management skills when I first started out doing it were I had no idea of, of those sorts of planning and or, or even coordinating with my owners and that sort of thing and so I think there's a lot more to it than when I started so I think being trained in business and going to TAFE or doing some sort of business courses is important because to keep making money and to keep your head above water and to keep turning up every day and riding horses and knowing that it's all worth it. <laughs> mm, That's mm. the hard part. <laughs> and I think too, you know, that sometimes a, a lot of people have learned by trial and error, but if they can do that complementary, it's not all about horse riding and horse management and coaching, but if they can do those complementary skills, like you said, the planning you know, the human resource management, the team leading, the marketing, the financial, all of those things can Absolutely. be complementary yeah. Yeah, and can support and increase your business, increase your ability to then go out and coach on a broader basis because you, yeah, you, you're able to do it because you're better set up to do it. Absolutely. In my experience of being a coach and riding horses and competing horses and then training riders, I've had to learn many skills along the way, not only how to coach or not only how to ride. I've had to learn how to become pretty technologically educated as well, how to keep my website updated, you know, how to do book work and send out invoices and those things, even to write an email, you know, 15 years ago was <laughs> was an achievement. Yes, yep, yep, for sure. So yeah. communicating and being organised. And I think one of the last working students that I had there a few years back, I don't have any working students anymore, the people that work and ride for you and, and mm -hmm. work alongside you and that sort of thing. I don't have enough horses anymore. But I think one of the skills that I told him that I hope that he took away from spending his apprenticeship with me was learning how to be a problem solver, not only a horse rider. Yes. Because I think you've got to be able to do, you've got to have many Strings to your bow these days. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Not only, and I think that's the thing, it's life experience that yeah. you learn that then adds to your ability to be a good professional in the equestrian world. Yes, yep. Yeah. And in your pathway then to, you know, learning about 
business and horses and coaching and everything else. Who's been influential there? Oh, goodness. I think that luckily for me I had many owners of horses that were very supportive of many things along the way that I learned that helped me become better trained and better organised or more experienced at that, that sort of thing. So fortunately for me, I had people that came along in my life, owners of horses that were very talented people outside of the horse area that I managed to be steered in the right direction from. Mm-hmm. I guess horse training, one of the people that is my biggest mentor or my biggest influence in horses is Heath Ryan. He's my, what I call my ultimate dynamo man because he's just unstoppable. And so I think that tenacity is a big deal for me, you know, just to think, keep going and it's all worth it. And to keep on going, even when everything seems to be at its lowest ebb, you've just fallen off third time and <laughs> whatever, <laughs> or you've got bucked off on the arena by that horse that you just can't ride or whatever it is to have that ultimate goal that that is just you're just unstoppable I think that's what he means to me as a mentor and yeah, um, yeah. He, he's certainly got lots of energy you know he just always has got lots of energy you hear him from a mile away and yeah, yeah there's always that energy coming out and, yeah always know his voice what, what about horses have influenced you have you got any that you want to mention oh I think the horses that I really grew up with, and really I identify with with my training skills and so on, are thoroughbreds. And um, recently I've bred, because um, of the trend, bred many warm bloods and ended up riding many crossbred warm bloods. And I really found it very a very different kettle of fish. So I've got to say my go-to horses for my best experiences in my life were thoroughbreds that, that really just, they, um, they've got a bottomless pit and I guess they, there we go talking about endless amount of energy again and application, mm-hmm. whereas I find that warm blood cross horses have a real button of that's as much as I can give you today mm-hmm. and you've got to have a very measured approach to that training and you've got to be able to say that you've achieved a result today even though you may not see it today, tomorrow that you so they have they have a different way of learning, I find, with the crossbred style horses. Yep. Whereas a thoroughbred horse, you can get that little bit more out of him on the day that you know that you actually made an inroad there in his training. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I think that's in their nature, that's in their metabolism. You know, like God made them that way, I think. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. And thinking about those horses, what's been your proudest moment? Well, there's nothing that can overcome seeing Enchanted going around a horse that she was a thoroughbred mare that I purchased through George Sanner. She was a show jumper. I purchased her as a five-year-old. And by the time she was nine, she was winning and placing at three-star level. And then it was obvious that my time as a professional rider, I was feeling as though, you know, if I had a young up-and-coming rider on her, she'd have a good shot at the Olympics. And that was right about just about the time of Athens Olympics was coming up. And so Sammy McLeod is now Sammy Birch, mm-hmm. who now lives over in the UK. We made an agreement that Sammy would ride her and she went to Adelaide in the four-star and she was third to Stuart. 
actually third, Stuart was second, and Boyd Martin was first that year. Mm-hmm. So then we went to the UK with her, and she went round. But two badmintons, I watched her go around and won one girly four star three day event, and that was in the time when it was the old three day eventing style, which I think is a very good thing that they got rid of that. It was. It was a hard event the year that she went round badminton and did the full roads and tracks and steeplechasing and everything in um, over her ankle deep mud. And boy, she was a tough, she was a tough mare, big chestnut mare, very warm blood in her type, but not at all in her nature. She was like an old pair of army boots, that thing. She kept going. She was a tough girl. (laughs) And so that's definitely, there's no going past that horse and Uh the achievement. And that Sammy rode her beautifully at that level, and it was an amazing experience to be an owner at Badminton and also at Burley. And yep. yeah, so I don't think many people can have that in their. Um, <laughs> in no, their it's pretty day. special. Pretty special, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And then I found her sire actually, Razor Stanza, and went on and bred quite a few of his progeny trying to reproduce Enchanted because I felt as though the new style of breeding now with the warm blood crosses, it was exactly what Enchanted was. She was very warm blood tight in her mm-hmm. body, but I never did re- reproduce another one, worse luck. Mm. She was an amazing horse, once in a lifetime, that one. Okay, yep. yeah. What's been your biggest challenge? You know, she's been the best horse, the best thing that happened. What what about challenges? Surely it's not been all a fairy tale. Surely it's been a bit harder than that. Absolutely. I think for me, EI came along in 2007 mm-hmm. and some things that were factors leading up to that period of time, that really changed everything for me. I, I virtually had only one or two horses after that and really never got back to the top level of eventing after that either. So I guess and the challenge for me was deciding when it was the right time to say, well, I'm no longer a competitive at that level, you know. And certainly, yeah, I think that would be, for me, I did try to keep producing horses and to get back to the highest level of eventing. I just never really had the passion, I guess, or something really, I just lost that, whatever it was, drive, whatever mm-hmm. it was that was in me before that time. Mm-hmm. I think the challenge there was, am I going to be a rider that's a professional rider anymore? And it was a challenge to decide when that time was up. Okay, okay. I want to talk to you a bit more then about what we're doing now, or what you're doing now, and about you do a lot of coaching anyway, but I specifically would like to talk about the beginner riders, the coaching beginner riders, and probably the biggest problem that coaches have teaching beginner riders and what we can do about that. Look, I think the system of trying to learn how to teach and become qualified in teaching is difficult to train the people to learn how to teach you know it's, mm. it's experience that you learn how to teach and I think there's many people out there that decide they'd like to become a coach whether it be level one or, or however they choose to go through and achieve their qualifications I think it's a very difficult thing to learn from no even horsey background like I rode through pony club 
and had been taught since a kid to ride horses. I'd been taught by Colleen Brooke as a kid when I was 13, 14 years old. So I was probably one of those kids that she taught when she was young. And learning to teach horse riding is, is I think, a very much of an ongoing process. And certainly I still attend training, coaching courses. And, for instance, George Morris will come out coming over Christmas and that sort of thing. And I definitely go and listen to people like him that are the top of the sport. I've got a rider that I teach, Katie Taliana. She rode at Adelaide Four Star this year. I go and listen to her lessons. So I think it's an ongoing process. You've got to be open to learn. I think the worst thing when I'm trying to help people prepare themselves to be accredited as a coach, I find that the worst possible thing that they say to me is, Oh, yes, but when I learnt that, I didn't do it that way. I think the thing that you learn in horses is there are many ways and Mm. there are many ways in which you train a horse or there are many ways. For instance, you know, there are different types of horses. There's many different types of people to train as well. So I think as soon as you go in to try to learn to be a coach or to try to train to be accredited as a coach... I think you need to go in with an open heart or an open mind towards learning how because as soon as you believe that your way is the best way or the only way or or you believe that you don't need to learn more, that's the minute that you stop learning and then therefore you you don't improve. Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest thing that is inspired, keeps me inspired to stay in the sport as well because I really believe that it is the bottomless pit of knowledge. So learning to be a coach, I think you have to be able to say there's so many things that I need to learn to do this well, but I'm never going to stop learning. Okay. Now now think about as a coach, if you've got a beginner who comes in, you know, city, like no experience with horses, may have seen horses, seen someone riding down the road on a horse, you know, seen something. Well, your classic example, yeah, I'll beginner. give you yep. my classic example. I've got a guy, his son rides. Mm-hmm. He's never really been involved in his son's riding. His, his wife goes with his son to ride his horses mm-hmm. and so on and drives the car and drives the float, everything like that. And he's just decided at the age of 40, some such number, who knows, I didn't really (laughs) ask him, that he liked to try to ride a horse. Mm -hmm. And he's a very fit man. He does push bike riding and goes and does whatever he does. He's not, doesn't just sit in an office. He's a very outdoorsy kind of guy. And for him to teach a guy like him to ride, you have to have many techniques or, or tactics to teach an adult to ride, which are different techniques or tactics than you use to teach kids. Kids have got to be interested and active and doing, whereas adults have got to understand it quite, let's say, thoroughly in their mind of what they're going to try to do. And if they can understand it and talk about it, often they can carry it out reasonably easy. This guy, luckily for him, has no real fear. And I think fear comes with experience. Sometimes you can have bad experiences and to overcome fear, that's a whole more difficult task to teach people how to overcome fear. But um, 
luckily most, like I find most adult learners that decide that they're going to learn to ride a horse come in without a lot of previous experience. They're actually really exciting to teach because they're quite strong and can do things quite easily. So I think each stage of learning, everybody has a different weakness or strength. When they come in for their first lesson, do you start them on the lunge or how do you actually start them? Absolutely. Absolutely. And even if I had a bounded arena, my arena has weak canter across the dressage arena and canter through the dressage arena and jump jumps and do all of that. So it's not a mm-hmm. not a bounded arena. I'm actually taught in a bounded arena. And I've actually had a round yard and never actually taught in a round yard. I've always taught lunging the horse in an arena and I've taught, taught my style of teaching from the start is teach people to try to Start learning to rise to the trot by standing up and sitting down at the walk and stuff like that and learning how to use their legs and their balance. And then until they've got their legs and their balance in the lower part of their seat and their legs and that, I don't let them have the reins. So, but I teach on a very, I only ever teach on a very well-educated horse on the lunge. And that's the key to it. If you've got a horse that's not very good at lunging and you can't control him well, you put your rider at risk and then you create situations where you've got danger and danger is when people won't learn, they can't learn. And and that's not very very good for the sport either. (laughs) You know, people come in and they say, I rode a horse once and I fell off. It's not a very good thing for the sport, but if they can ride and be confident and know that they're going to be safe, they're going to be a lot more confident then to come back and continue to learn. I find it really quite funny down here in Sydney, I have an ad in the yellow pages and I get quite a number of calls for people that want to take their kid on a trail ride and I say, oh, look, no, I teach, I only teach riding lessons. Mm. Oh, we just want to go and ride a horse. We don't want to spend money learning how to do it. (laughs) And my answer to that is if your kid wanted to learn to drive a car, would you just say, here's the keys, off you go down the driveway and go for your life? No, you wouldn't. You'd try to give them knowledge and make sure that they were in a safe environment so that the first thing they didn't do was reverse out into a line of traffic and create (laughs) the crash. (laughs) Yeah, so definitely. It's a a good scenario, uh, yeah. Good good analogy, something to think about, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That people, they're so... Like to ride a horse, they see people do it on the television and so on, and and it looks easy. Mm. Mm. Looks Mm. easy. I think when, for me, I do a thing called Sit Tight Radio and do a lot of commentary of the big three-day events and so on around Australia. We've just finished Adelaide, and, and I also was down at Wallaby Hill, and I think the most thing that rings true for me with watching people ride horses, you know that it's really, really good when it looks easy. You know, you know that somebody's <laughs> very bloody good at what they're doing when it looks effortless. Yep, and, yep, um, yep. And when people say it's only that's that rider just sits there, the horse does all the work. Right. You just go, yep, that's they're, exactly they're the what ones we want. That are actually yep. really good at it, and you will yep, never do yep. that. <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's yep, not going to. Yep. If you don't know what they're doing, it's not you're not going to achieve it in a big hurry because if you can't see, yeah, it's they're very finite details of riding horses and. I guess when the Olympics come on and everybody watches it on the television, that's very inspirational for many people often, and that's when you'll get 
lots of people ringing up and saying, oh, I'd love it if my kid could ride horses. And, <laughs> and then the, and how many lessons will it take for my kid to learn to ride a horse? <laughs> yep. That's a good yep. one too, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, at what level? Yep, yep. <laughs> Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory and the practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. Fiona, thinking about the future, what do you plan for Sitprot Radio? What do you plan for yourself? Tell us a little bit about that next 12 months or go on from there. Sitprot Radio has been going now for three, three years. We've done, that's actually the fourth Adelaide I've done and I've got a team of commentators with me that come around to the events. I have sort of different ones. I've got a couple of Victorians that come with me to the southern events and it is growing. It's great fun. It's great fun and hard work and all of those things that horses are in my life that I've gotten used to. The fact that often it doesn't make enough money and some of the things that's the ongoing theme. I'd like to see it grow into something where we've got the World Equestrian Games coming up in August this year in America. And so I'd like to be able to have Sit Tight Radio commentate that um, over the vision. But I think it'll be a little bit like Roy and HG when they would commentate over the top of the football and people would tune into that. I think mm-hmm. Sit Tight Radio is not just, oh, yes, she's jump number one. It's much more of um, entertaining. I think we could call it infotainment, possibly. It's got a lot of information, but it's entertaining as well. I'd really, I mean, that is a passion more than a, a money-making venture. It's sort of. It's like possibly like most things in horses. It's it's a, it's a money-burning <laughs> sure. venture. For sure. Um, yep. But yeah, that's certainly something in the next twelve months that I would like to. I'd like to achieve. That's um, what my goal is for this year with Sit Tight Radio. Whether or not I can swing it, I've got some irons in the fire to try to get that the wheels in motion for that. But I'm I'm yet to sort of string it all together. But yeah, and with my teaching, I, as you say, I do teach a lot of people from the very beginning of riding and I teach a lot of kids and I also teach many adult learners and often they'll be parents of kids that are riding at whatever level. I still enjoy watching the people that you're teaching their uh, fulfilment of, of learning to do a nice canter transition or whatever it is. But just because I teach lots of beginners doesn't mean that I'm happy to just sort of stop trying to teach at the top level, at the elite level of the sport as well. Like I want to Mm -hmm. keep all of those um, interests uh, strong. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, lots of strings in my bow, I guess, there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, Fiona, can you sum up your philosophy into a lesson today for our listeners, please? Philosophy on Mm -hmm. riding horses or teaching people to ride horses? Both. I guess a philosophy of horses for me is that there is no limit to the amount of information or education that you need to have to try to go from, let's say, the beginning levels of your riding or or even your education as a coach. 
to achieving step by step and working really hard at it. You know, I teach a lot of people to try to gain their qualification to become a coach and they try really hard to sort of achieve it, but then they seem to lose interest in training. I think you've got to keep being a sponge and keep soaking up all of the... um, And sometimes, I guess, things come along that seem to be the newest, latest, the greatest thing, like plastic stirrups or some such things like that, and you, you see the fashions and fads come and go, and I think what we've got to do is, as let's say, senior members of the sport is just try to sort of keep sticking to the, the quality of, of the training. Mm-hmm. So I guess being, being somebody who keeps on reinventing themselves and being able to keep up is, is my philosophy on what I want to do with riding and my, well, my training of riders. Anyway, I still do ride. I've got a horse that I ride at home, but I don't do a lot of competitions. But I think it's just keep trying to have your book open and keep trying to add more information into it, whether it be about riding or whether it be about anything, you know, being able to be a better communicator and, and so on and so forth. So, hmm. I guess it's not a very succinct or clear philosophy. I, I guess my philosophy is be open. <laughs> okay. No, I think that's good. You, yeah, having having your book open, keep learning, sticking yep. to the quality of the training, I think, you know, you've sort of said that right through and um, I think that pretty much sums it up for the listeners. That's great. All right, Fiona, how can people contact you? Contact information, well, of course. Good old Facebook. Facebook is, <laughs> is amazing. That under your own social name? media. Yep. And um, Tiptop Radio has its own Facebook page, and I have a Facebook page where I do a bit of promotion of that we've got early coming into the new year, Mirror Booker Camp, where the kids all come down to Maria, and I do a bit of promotion of all of that sort of thing there with Facebook. But of course, I do have. The website of my own, but um, Sitpot Radio has a website as well, and that mm-hmm. keeps me entertained. But <laughs> I think most people these days, social media is such an easy way to contact people or find people, you know. Like we've all yep. got our websites that we've got our qualifications on, you know, Equestrian Australia and that sort of thing. But I don't know that people uh, find that as easy to just, you know, punch in a name or even equestrian or something like that. Good, good old Google can find most people these days. I was going to say your details will be available on horsechats.com slash Fiona Hughes as well when we put up a page for you. So just in case anyone's missed your details, they can go to that um, website and have a look as well. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Horsechats.com. Yep, slash so Fiona. No, slash Fiona Hughes. Yep. Very good. I'll write that down myself. <laughs> All right, Fiona, thanks very much for talking to us today. Certainly engaging talking to you. We're um, looking forward to talking to you again sometime. Thank you, Glennis. Thanks so much. It's been Thank great. You. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below. 